Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. This is Psalm 139. Psalm 139, when we read it, it wells up emotion inside of us. And the reason is that we're hearing how much God loves us. We're hearing the great care he took in creating us. And there's something comforting in knowing that the great God of the universe sees us and knows us. And oftentimes this psalm is used to teach about how significant we are, right? It elevates us and says, look, we're the pinnacle of creation. We're God's prized possession. And those things are true, right? But the purpose of that psalm is something much deeper than us. The purpose of that psalm is to point to how amazing our God is, to how he can be great and glorious, but he can know us deeply and completely. The thing we see here is that our God is good. He's not a God of quid pro quos or circumstantial love. He he engages and he gives purely out of his goodness. However, we do need to understand his goodness. We need to know what that means. He isn't merely just a nice father figure who gives good gifts to his children. He is that. He does do that. But he is much more than that. 
Our God has claimed victory over sin and death. Our God defeated Satan and holds dominion over all creation. Our God is a mighty warrior who cannot and will not be defeated. He is fierce and powerful, but he is good. And for his goodness to be consistent and complete, he must be righteous and just. And all of the power and glory and majesty is a goodness without end and a kindness that leads us to repentance. And once you know him, you can approach him with confidence. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that this is who you are. That you are powerful, mighty, that you are strong, that you're loving, and you care, and you're present, and you know us. God, help us know that today. Will you pour through me the gift of preaching? Remove the things that fall short and speak through me into this flock so that we can be molded and shaped by your word and changed to do the good work you've called us to. God, we thank you so much for Jesus and the hope we have in him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Many of you know we call things good all the time that aren't really that good. I remember buying my first car. I went with my dad to a guy in Patriot, which was typically the case back then. You just went to a guy and bought a car. And we went there, and we went and saw this 1992 Chevy Lumina. It was the Eurosport, which meant it was a big deal. It was not the four-cylinder. It was the six-cylinder. It, it was a good car, and that's what he said. He goes, it's a good car. What he meant was it will get you from place to place, but after that, you're kind of on your own. This car leaked oil from the master cylinder. It had the, it had the handles up on the top, on the side. I don't know if you know what I mean, but it was a Eurosport, so it was fancy. And it was up here, and the first time that the doors froze in the wintertime, I pulled really hard, and the handle came right off. Broke right, right in half. And what's crazy about that story is when it happened, I was at Butler University in Indianapolis visiting a friend, and I had to call my dad. Like, hey, I broke my car. I need help. And he had to get someone to bring him to Indianapolis, and literally all he did was stick a screwdriver in it and pop it open. I could have done that myself but it's okay. The engine mounts in this car were broken, and I just thought that the transmission shifted really hard. So I told my dad, hey, it's shifting real hard. I don't know what's going on. And they opened up the hood, and the engine was moving inside the car. If you don't know, it's not supposed to do that. So it was a good car in that it never broke down on me. I did drive it everywhere and then sold it to someone else, and they drove it everywhere. It was a good car in that it did what it needed to do, but it wasn't a good Car And I, you're very aware, that's not the type of goodness we're talking about, right? When we talk about God being good, we're talking about a good nature, a goodness that is deep. We're talking about a goodness that's difficult to explain, but we, we know it when we see it. We see it on display all around us, and we feel it when we're in his presence. We see it when we stand on the beach, and we observe the majesty and the power of the ocean waves. We see it when we hold our child for the first time and we realize that life is a miracle. We feel it when life gets thrown into chaos, but there's some peace for some reason and we know that's because the God of the universe holds us in his hands. 
And we see it when a person comes to Jesus broken. And then they come up out of the baptismal waters free and full of joy. Our God is good. And scripture has a lot to say about it. God's goodness is described in scripture like this. I'm going to, I'm going to use Nahum chapter 1. This isn't a book that we hear about very often. But I'm so excited to be able to use it in preaching. I've never done that before. So here we go. Nahum chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Whoa. Who is this? We don't talk about this part of God very often. But this is who he is. But what's amazing is in the middle of that, in verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. David says it this way in 1 Chronicles 29. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. David declares God's authority and power. And then in Psalm 145, David says this about his love and his mercy. He says, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The first thing we need to understand about God's goodness is that he is powerful, yet he is just. He is absolutely full of strength and power. He is able to overcome his enemies and declare absolute victory. He is able to create and restore, but he is also able to destroy. As we see with Noah in the flood. We even see that God has command over all of his creation with Jonah and the big fish. He is absolutely powerful in a way we cannot comprehend. He instills fear in his enemies as we see when Moses leads the Israelites away from Pharaoh and out of Egypt. But in all his power, he is completely just and completely righteous. And to give definition to these words, I want to make sure we're on the same page. To give definition to the word just, this is what it means. It's defined as based on or behaving according to what is morally right and fair. For clarity, our God, in all of his power, applies that power with absolute justice. He is, 100% of the time, morally correct. So many times power corrupts. And we see that throughout history, right? Somebody with, a, with, a, with some talent, somebody who is good-natured, will get power, and that power will quickly corrupt them. And they'll start to do questionable things. And they'll start to take advantage of the situation they're in. Not our God. Never. He never operates 
outside of righteousness and justice. He is always morally and practically right. And scripture affirms that in Deuteronomy 32, it says, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A quick side note before I go on. I'm going to teach a lot of scripture, and not today. I mean always. And there's a reason for that. The Bible, the, what we use to read, the Bible, is the infallible, perfect word of God. It's absolutely trustworthy, and it's, in, it's the inspired word of God to us. I want to make this abundantly clear. We use scripture to mold us. We do not use scripture to justify our own opinions or our own positions. That's not what it's for. We do not take it out of context in order to do so. It is meant to shape us. It's his voice to us, and we should listen. There's a book I love. It's called His Truth, and the author describes it this way. He says, because the Bible is inspired by God, it is completely true. Indeed, this is one of the main purposes of inspiration, to guarantee the truth of the product. We know that God alone is the source of truth. All truth comes from him. And we know that the Bible is inspired by God. Therefore, we know that what the Bible says is the truth. So when we read scripture, we are reading the truth. That is why there will be so much scripture taught in here. We need to hear truth from God, not opinions from me. And knowing that scripture is the truth from God, we can trust what it says about God. In all these verses, we see that God is completely just and righteous in his power. But there's so much more to his goodness. In his goodness, he is mighty, yet he is merciful. We've already read a bunch of scripture that describes his power and might. And we know of his victory and we know of his strength to defeat sin and darkness and death. But in all of that strength, he is also merciful. We, I've said this many times and I'll continue to do so, we are a broken people who have broken the law and are deserving of punishment, but he shows mercy. Ephesians 2 verse 4 but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Daniel chapter 9, I love this one. Daniel says this, O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. God, having mercy on us, doesn't merely mean that he has compassion on us or that he feels bad for us. I want to define mercy a little bit. Mercy means that God has seen our pain and our struggle. He has seen our need for saving, and he desires to do whatever it takes to do something about it. And the beauty is that he has. 
In the Old Testament, God fought over and over again to release his people from oppression. He made a way through the tabernacle and the temple to make a dwelling place among his people so he could be with them and among them. But he knew all along that a greater way was coming. He was preparing the way the whole time for Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of God's mercy. We know that our greatest need is for salvation from our sins. And in Jesus, God made a way for that. Because of Jesus, God no longer dwells in a temple, but he gives us the Holy Spirit, which dwells inside of us. We freely have access to God always now. I'm going to define that a little more next week, why that is such a big deal. This is what mercy is. God saw our need, and he did something about it. And lastly, in his goodness, he is fierce, yet he is kind. And like I said, next week, we're going to look at God's holiness and how fierce his wrath is against sin. We can read throughout the Old Testament, especially when the Israelites are taking the promised land, that God is fierce and swift in the destruction of his enemies. We can read in Revelation how God will fiercely claim victory. He is fierce, but he is oh so kind. Psalm 145, again, later in that chapter, he says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And in 1 John chapter 3, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Later in that chapter, he says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Listen, that Jesus Christ would lay down his life for us. In Psalm 23, much like John 3.16, Psalm 23 is one that gets used so much that it sometimes becomes white noise. We just kind of listen to it or we recite it mindlessly and don't really pay attention to what's happening. But right now what I want to do is I want you to close your eyes and listen, truly listen to what David is saying about the goodness and kindness and love of our Father. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And some translations say it, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our God is so good. I could teach so much about Psalm 23 because there's so much about the culture of a shepherd that shapes the goodness we see in God. I don't have time today, but I will eventually. Our God is good. And in all of his might and power and fierce victory over sin, he has great compassion on us. 
He is close, and he loves us deeply. He's made a way for us to be near to him, and he draws near to us. And then all of that goodness and kindness, all of that leads us to one place, and it leads us to repentance. When our brokenness meets his perfection, there's just a few things that happen. First, we find ourselves in awe of him. We understand that he is perfect and has all the glory and all the power and all the majesty and that requires us. We have to, our nature says, to be in awe of that. Second, we recognize our sinfulness and our need for saving. We can't deny when we see his perfection, we cannot deny that we have fallen short of who he has created us to be and we seek his forgiveness. And third, we repent. And we ask God to make us new, which he then does because he is able. To repent means this. It means to turn around and walk the other direction. Literally, it means stop going this way, turn around and go that way. And for us, it means to stop living the life of sin that has separated us from the Father and start running towards him. When we do that, he will receive us with open arms. He will forgive us and he will make us new because he is good and because he is able. And Jesus describes God's goodness so perfectly. In Luke chapter 15, he tells the story of a son. And the son goes to the father and he says, Dad, I don't want to be your son anymore. Give me my inheritance that I am owed and I want to leave. And the father says, okay. Obviously brokenhearted, he gives the inheritance to the son and he watches him leave. And as many immature sons have done since then and before then, he did exactly what you would expect. He spends all of his inheritance on things he shouldn't, on things that are hurting him, on things that have no longevity. And he loses everything. And he finds himself broke, broken, destitute, and alone. He has nowhere to go, no one to turn to, and he thinks, I'll go home, and I'll at least, maybe he'll let me work for him. Maybe my dad will let me work for him. He may not recognize me as a son anymore because I asked him not to, but maybe he'll let me work for him, and I can at least take care of myself. And so like many of us have done, have done who have done something wrong in our lives, and we know we have to go own up to it and apologize to our parents, he rehearses his apology speech. We've all been there before, right? We, we think if we say the right things, our parents will forgive us and everything will be fine. So we, we work on it and we work on it and we say exactly what he says here. Listen, this is his rehearsal to apologize to his dad. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he practices his speech and he builds up the courage and he decides to go home but it doesn't go the way he expects. This is starting in verse 20 in Luke 15. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He couldn't even get the apology out all the way before the father interrupts him and says, it doesn't matter, you're home. This is the kindness of our God. He commands armies of angels and rules with a mighty sword, yet he loves us. And no matter how far we've strayed away, no matter how deep the hurt, no matter how much we have sinned against him, he runs to meet us with open arms and he welcomes us home with a celebration. Our God is good. And my goodness, he loves you fiercely. Come and know him. If you've been running away like the son has, you can come and he will receive you with open arms and a smile and we will celebrate. We will be a church that celebrates homecoming because that is what Jesus says to do. And what he does when you come home is he gets rid of all of that junk and he makes you new. So come home. If you've never made that decision, I'm going to be here. I would love to talk to you. I know I've said that every week. I'm going to continue to do so. It's the most important thing we do is help people know, love, and serve Jesus. Come talk to me. Maybe you've made that decision before, but you've been running away for a long time, and you just need someone to talk to and pray with you. Come talk to me. This is what we do. We celebrate homecoming. So come know him. And be welcomed home. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that this is who you are. That the brokenness in the world requires you to rule with a mighty hand. And you do that with absolute justice and goodness. And we're so thankful for that. But your nature, your nature also says that you are loving and kind. And you love us deeply. And we are thankful for that. So God, move us. Change us. Help us be more like you. Help us love you more deeply and live for you more passionately. We thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.